This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics. Their developer toolkits provide world-class controls targeting Windows, Web, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com. Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 58. This week, we talk with Renee Schulte about 3D programming with the Oculus and HoloLens, PowerShell and SSH, updates to Visual Studio Code, and Carl is still talking about Sidewaffle. Today we have Renee Schulte. He's an internationally recognized independent expert for Windows, mobile, and devices. He's a Microsoft MVP. He is a passionate. He is passionate about computer graphics, and he develops successful apps like Pictures Lab. And also currently works for Identity Mine. Welcome, Renee. Ah, thanks, guys. Great to be on the show. It's a really, really good show. Um, a real pleasure to be here. Well, thank you. Are you trying to? Are you trying to win the uh, the feedback contest? <laughs> no, speaking uh speaking of con- feedback Carl, what do we got? Yes, uh this week we selected some feedback we got on an iTunes review from uh Mr. Furley. Mm-hmm. Uh he wrote this has become one of my favorite development podcasts. The topics are great and they are very entertaining. Uh uh thanks Mr. Furley. Uh this week uh, you got selected to win the Infragistics Ultimate License. So Email us at feedback at msdevshow.com so we get your email address and we can get that license to you. Excellent. And if you and if you want to get mentioned on the show, send us an email to the email address I just mentioned. Comment on Facebook, iTunes, uh, wherever. Uh, this really helps spread the show and uh, you could have a chance to win that license for yourself as well. Yep. We don't check iTunes quite as much, but uh, we do check it on a regular basis. And we really like those iTunes reviews because that, that helps... Um, People discover the show. So let's jump into the news because we got a lot of good stuff this week. Uh, so the first one is about Azure, and that's why I like it. So two new regions in Canada. So there were actually a lot of people asking about this. And they're saying, hey, we need uh, we need a data center in Canada. And they got two. Yeah. 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 It, it's huge to have these data centers close to the people that are going to be using them. And uh, Canada is not small. So um, they mentioned at Build this year that they're going to, what, I, I believe, double the amount of data centers they have around uh, was the, world the number in the next of, several was years the number of servers i i'm not sure about the number of data centers the number of regions is up to 20 compared to i want to say yeah. aws has 13 at this point yeah either way they, they are looking at greatly expanding them and you know just a month later they've added two more so mm-hmm. that's really that's really huge yeah definitely because you, you yeah you want your data center to be as close as possible and uh with canada there it was you know because of some of the laws they want them to be in canada so there you go uh, let's see here. HTTP two. So this was kind of cool. Um, cause we've talked about HTTP two on the podcast before. Uh, but this one, you know, it kind of dives into some of the details here. I don't know if there was anything specific you wanted to mention on this, Carl. I, I think some of the things I wanted to mention more is there's, there's a lot of things that we do currently today to enhance the performance of our websites mm-hmm. that with HTTP two actually work against us. Right. So it's kind of knowing what these are, you know, it's kind of, you know, some things like domain sharding, inlining, combining assets. Some of these things aren't necessary because with HTTP2, they do things entirely different. They reuse that connection. So you get that lower latency that you need that you're really compensating for with some of these other techniques. Right. Because all those best practices were really to overcome shortcomings, right, of HTTP1 or 1.1. Yeah. Yeah. So now if we're smart about when HTTP2 is going to be used we can start removing some of these, you know, workarounds and band-aids that we had for these I mean, other problems. You could problems. even call them hacks at this point almost, right? At this point they are. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I think some of the the if you haven't kind of kept up to date on HTTP two, what's kind of neat about it, it does um like streaming multiplexing. So um you know through that single connection, being able to make you know like multiple uh, simultaneous requests over that. Uh, there's prioritization, which is really cool. There's prioritization of a couple different things in there, but being able to prioritize the the actual assets that you need, I think, is pretty cool. And then um, um, there's a binary layer, so being able to do things like server push, which is which is huge, because again, we've we've had to do a bunch of hacks around that, and uh, I, I think this is pretty significant. So all the things that we've learned in the past, I don't know, twenty years or whatever it is, um, are going into this, making it so that we don't have to do all these hacks anymore. Uh, anything else you want to mention about that one? No. Cool. Uh, let's see here. Using Windows APIs. What's this one all about? All right. So so this one I, I'm going to set up a little bit. So uh, a few episodes ago, we had uh, John Sheehan on mm-hmm. for Project Centennial. And kind of a, a little nugget that he dropped at the end was that um, there's a whole lot of Win32 APIs that in the past you couldn't use in WinRT applications that are now going to be flagged for use and uh, that kind of started a whole discussion, uh, you know, with me and several other people's like, what what are these? You know, because he mentioned that, you know, pretty much a lot of them that didn't take like H Windows input mm-hmm. um, would be opened. But what's really cool is in the show notes, we're going to have three different links here. Um, the first link is uh, a list of Win32 and COM APIs that can be used in WinRT and UWP apps. And and they list them all. Uh, yeah, this with is, links a, this is to- a long page. Yeah, and they all have links to the documentation for each one. So, like, if you're curious if something that you depend upon can be used in one of these applications, it's going to be here. And the cool thing is, throughout this discussion email thread that I had with some other people, I believe you were on there, Renee, as well. Um, There's there's two other links. So one is uh, Windows Runtime APIs that you can use in desktop apps. So that's kind of going the other way. So if you are writing a WinForms or WPF app you can use some of these uh, newer APIs in them as well. Um, and then the last link is if you have uh, uh, an older Windows API that you want to use, there's alternatives, alternative newer WinRT and UWP APIs that can be used instead of those. Um, some of those are, uh, I believe, like networking, media. Um, file I.O. Yeah, file I.O., Bluetooth. You know, just more modern versions. You can still use the other ones, but you might want to use these newer ones as well. Yeah, and uh, Carl, great that you mentioned it because I think this is a really one of those hidden MSDN documentations, which is quite important actually to see that the list of whitelisted Win32 and COM APIs has grown since uh, Windows 8.1, WinRT 8.1, because there are well, a lot of our clients we work with, and they. You know, we have to access quite a few of Win42 APIs. And, the, and the, if you compare the list we had for Windows 8.1 with the newer one for UWP, it's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that, there's also all join listed, like this, this Bluetooth communication open yep. source protocol. So you also have that available. And, and this is important stuff, right? And like you said, there's also other WinRT APIs you can use from your classic Windows app, like a WPF or uh, WinForms application, and a lot of people don't know that they can actually use or leverage the newer WinRT APIs from their classic Windows apps. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, there's also the Media Capture available, so you can use the Media Capture WinRT APIs from your WPF app, which is huge because in, in WPF there's no really good Media Capture ring solution. So this is this is one of those things uh, which are actually quite important but hidden in the MSDN documentation. So it's great that you put it on this list. 
Excellent. Anything else, Carl? Uh, not about this. Okay, let's talk about PowerShell. I don't think we talk about yeah. PowerShell very often. No, and, and this is kind of interesting. This came up because of something I was doing at work. Um, I was looking at um, modifying this this small internal PowerShell library uh, module that we have. And one of the topics that came up is, you know, PowerShell uh, is set up by using verbs and nouns. All of their commands are are that way. So you get like invoke process or, you know, something like that. So it invokes the verb processes, you know, the noun, the thing that the verb works on. Um, and one of the things that we were looking at is we kind of wanted to kind of like most things, you know, what does Microsoft recommend? We want to do it kind of the, yeah. For, yeah, for the convention. And so in that research, I found out that there's a, another great MSDN page that's hidden uh, approved verbs. So not only do they mention what, you know, the common approved word verbs are for Microsoft, but there's a few that are similar and they'll even give guidance on when you should use like invoke versus start, find versus search or new versus set. Um, you know, a lot of it comes down to, are you going to do something synchronously or asynchronously? But um, it, it's, it's also nice because a, a lot of the times you'll try to create a verb that, you know, may not make sense. And there's a lot of thought put behind, you know, this guidance. I didn't realize and, that this was semi-standardized because, you know, I use the uh, Azure PowerShell commandlets and, mm-hmm. and some of them are, are a little confusing, you know, things like, um, add versus new as an example. Um, you know, there's, there's some things like that. So I think this is handy just to understand what the thought process was and how these things get named. Yeah. And, and to be honest, you know, it, it took us a little time to do this research, but it saved more time. Uh, once we understood what, you know, all these verbs are and did. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's worth a, a quick look. And then the other PowerShell news, and this was, this was pretty big this week was, um, Microsoft support for, uh, SSH or secure sh- shell. So this is uh, part of PowerShell. So they're, so first of all, the PowerShell team wants to contribute to the open SSH community, which is pretty cool. Uh, that there, that, that was really the big news that was huge up on, uh, things like hacker news. And then they're trying to, uh, they want, they basically want to adopt SSH as, you know, as the, as the underlying technology and then provide, you know, real tight integration with the next version of windows. So this is pretty exciting. It's really neat. Whenever you see a, a technology that's, that's super popular like this, that, that, um, you can take these other technologies and, and, you know, make everything interoperate really nice instead of yeah. trying to invent something new. Now, I'm not sure if you know the question for this, but mm-hmm. I, from, from what it looks like, it looks like it's bi-directional too. It's not like, just like you can use SSH to do PowerShell stuff, but you can use PowerShell to then go the other way as well. Yeah. So it says uh, both Linux connecting to and managing windows via SSH and vice versa windows connecting to and managing Linux via SSH, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I think this is going to make a lot of people happy. Yeah. And this is just the general trend. And actually this might be the most interesting thing about this post here. Um, Let me find it here. This is the third time the PowerShell team has attempted to support SSH. The first attempts were during PowerShell V1 and 2. They were rejected. Giving our changes in leadership and culture, we decided to give it another try. And this time, because we were able to show the clear and compelling customer value, the company is very supportive. So, you know, this is just more indications of, of basically a new open Microsoft. So, you know, this is just this is just more evidence toward that. And that's that's really exciting. Okay, so something you haven't talked about for a while that uh, I know you love a lot because you yes. wouldn't stop talking about it for a while is side waffle. <laughs> and, and I still haven't stopped talking. Oh, about you it. just stopped talking so, about it around me. 
Yeah, so Sidewaffle actually has a, a, a new larger feature uh, called Dynamic Templates. And, uh, you know, long story short, this allows you to turn a Git repo or a local file share into a project or item template. So um, that's really huge. It's just an easier way to take your existing code and turn that into a reusable template. Huh. So Okay, this is really cool. Because we had, um, remember when we had uh, Sarah on from the Node Tools for Visual Studio team? Yep. She had talked yep. about doing something like this for uh, for basically their like file new project stuff for some of their templates. Yeah. So this is this yeah. is really cool. Yeah. In in the past, you'd have to purposely turn it into a template. Now you can just kind of take a, some assets that are sitting there and more automatically, you know, get that output into a template format. That's really cool. The, to me, this is like the most exciting feature because I could just throw <laughs> something up in GitHub and, and, and there you go. Now it's a template. Yep. Okay, that's really cool. Okay, uh, Visual Studio Code zero point three point zero. Do you use? Uh, do either of you guys use Visual Studio Code? I do, but only very lately. <clears throat> okay, I've actually been using it quite a bit. You know, because I do a lot of Node Node JS work and uh, web type things. You know, usually like backend web, and uh, it works really good because it opens like super fast. Um, it's got um, it's got some really cool features in it. There's some things that I miss from like Sublime, but you know, now there's there's more and more features going into this. So uh, it's amazing to see how fast this thing's moving. So there's a whole bunch of stuff in here for text editing, wrapping control. Uh, there's some new debugging features in here. Um, if we get down a little bit, um, let's see here. There's one of the things I didn't realize that it had uh, file compare. Um, actually, I don't know if file compare was added or if it was just hidden. But now it's really cool because you can basically go into the, the file explorer and say select for compare and then you go in there you you pick another file and you say compare and you actually get a diff viewer right in the editor and i didn't realize that there was a diff viewer in there or like i said i don't know if it was added in this current version but it's actually pretty good so having having a diff view right in there is uh, is pretty nice um let's see what else in here oh the working Auto- files now are watched which is kind of cool were you going to say something renee um no I mean, I don't use it. I, I don't have much to say about it. Okay. They, I'm doing a lot of C, C++ these days, and um, they support C++, but only like uh, highlighting. like in, Yeah, bit. yeah I was going to say, but, it's probably but, just the basically document editing. Yep. It's just like a, a, a beefed up notepad at that point. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, so the new version is out, and, and what ended up happening, I opened up Visual Studio Code, and a little bar comes down and say, hey, do you want to update? I push the button, a couple seconds later, it relaunched, and I have the new version. So Yeah, I... I think one of the biggest things is this has only been out a month yeah. and, and this update, I mean, they highlight, you know, like two dozen yeah. new features that it's they've moving added, quickly. So. There must be, there must be a pretty good sized team behind this because it's, it's moving pretty quickly. Oh, uh, let's see here. JSON support in SQL server. This is pretty cool. A lot of people are asking for this. So, you know, today you can do XML, you can store XML within SQL server, and then you can basically apply a schema to XML whenever you pull it out. Um, and now the same thing applies to JSON. So if you store JSON in a, in a column, you can basically run a select statement on it, look for certain columns, assign typing to it, and then you can basically use that in a query, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. Because parsing JSON in, in, in standard T-SQL is not, not fun at all. So this makes that a lot easier. So a lot of people are excited about this. But then again, neither is uh, XML. So <laughs> Right, right, right. Well, but XML, yeah, so XML support There's has more. been in there for a while. Yeah, but now we got JSON support. Okay, so let's talk to Renee about some cool stuff. He 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 works with all sorts of things like Oculus, Hololens, three D programming, a little bit of everything. So 
Renee, you want to give us a little bit of your uh, background in 3D programming? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, my name is Renee Schulte, right, as you announced it. And I live in Dresden in Germany. And I work for the digital UX agency called Identity Mine as a senior developer. Uh, actually, Identity Mine is located in Seattle. So I have the opportunity to work from my home office across the pond. Okay. Which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. And it's afternoon and, there right now, right? Yeah, it's it's uh, so thanks for setting the show up in the morning, your time. Yep. So I really <laughs> appreciate it. But yeah, I'm used to having lots of meetings and evening. So that's okay. one of those things. Um, yeah, and as you said, I'm a Microsoft Windows Platform Development MVP. I was a Windows Phone Dev MVP before that, when before they merged it, basically. Um, so I do a lot of Windows programming, and these days I'm doing quite a bit of R&D for our company. And my favorite language is still C Sharp, but these days I'm doing a lot of C, C++ because the devices like Oculus and other new devices like Leap Motion. I recently also tried the, the Mayo armband. Do you know that? Mayo armband? No, I haven't seen that one. No. Oh, is it, is it basically like a, a motion sensor that you, that you wear? It's a bit more than that. I mean, they have an accelerometer and gyroscope sensor integrated, but it's basically made out of eight little patterns and they wrap around like an armband. So you put it on your arm and what they actually measure is your muscle contraction. So if your, if your arm muscle is contracting, right? And what you can do if it's right, if it's perfectly trained, they can basically get the, the gestures. Uh, if you're waving your hand, if you're making a fist and all of that, that's pretty cool because it doesn't use any camera. It's unlike Leap Motion and all of those devices like the Kinect, they all use a camera, right? right. Infrared camera. Yeah, and you got to be this, like in kind of a certain area for it to see you. Exactly. So you cannot be also, usually it's, it's a challenge to, um, you know, with light lighting, like, um, you know, outdoor lighting, it usually doesn't work with uh, Leap Motion and all of those things. So it's cool to have such a device which just doesn't need any camera and just uses your muscle contraction. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of, uh, with those devices these days and, they usually have C, C++ APIs, so that's why I'm, I'm using that. Yeah, my, my background in 3D computer graphics started when I was at university, like more than 10 years ago. I was really hooked up to um, 3D computer graphics. We did quite a bit of physical simulations, uh, also virtual reality at that point already. Uh, we can talk about that a bit later mm -hmm. in, in detail. I also have a few open source projects. One of them is called Slaw Toolkit, which is um, an augmented reality toolkit. So it's using those markers. You, you probably know those um, rectangular, black rectangular markers, where you basically hold that in front of the camera and then it um, reconstructs the scene and you can apply uh, virtual assets inside the real world. Uh, another one of my projects is called Writable Bitmap X, which is basically uh, extension methods for the Writable Bitmap you find in Silverlight, Windows Phone, WPF, and Warranty, which is pretty... Um, uh, the default one is, is pretty, uh, how should I say, it doesn't have so much functionality. And so Rydal Bitmap X tries to solve that. Yeah, Carl was saying that, you know, like that alone was almost worthy of an entire episode. Thanks <laughs> for that, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's grown quite a bit. It started with Silverlight when it was still hip, you know. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> yeah, but but I moved it to all the other platforms. So it's it's using some... Um, yeah, it's available for Warranty, WPF, and, and all of those. And it has grown. I also got quite a bit of good community contributions through that open source project. So I included them. And yeah, it's keeping me busy. And yeah, I also have a couple of apps on different pl platforms. Most importantly, uh, Windows Phone. I started with day one when it came out. 
Uh, one of them is Pixels Lab. And yeah, I'm also blogging, speaking sometimes and writing articles. I, I recently just wrote one for a German PC magazine about HoloLens. Um, okay. Well, and actually on your, on your blog, I'm, I'm sort of on a tangent here, but what was interesting is, uh, Carl sent me your, your, uh, blog address and I went to it and the second post on here. The second newest post was this Microsoft band sleep tracking in the test bed yeah. that you wrote recently. So I had actually seen this. So just so you know, somebody had sent this out to the, the band distribution list within Microsoft and that's how I saw it. So that's, that's fine. Yeah. So if you, uh, if you saw like a lot of people going to view this, <laughs> a lot of them were from Microsoft. <laughs> uh, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. And it was yeah, basically yeah. the, it wasn't like the development team, although they monitor that it was more like the, the Microsoft band fans within Microsoft. That's cool. Yeah. It, it was pretty funny. I was at the, I had to go to a sleep clinic for, you know, treating some issues I have there, mm-hmm. but the, the good part is at least I could take my Microsoft band with me. And I got some some really good analysis from the sleep cleaning. Of course, they have like the real scientific measurements. Right. So I thought, okay, just comparative to the Microsoft band when I'm there. So that's that's what I did, and that's you can read in the in the blog post, and it's quite interesting. Yeah, no, that was that was really cool. You did an amazing job with that data. I was waiting for somebody to do that. So so good job with that. Yeah, I was joking. I was joking. I just went to the sleep cleaning just to do that because I'm so <laughs> curious. But no, it is actually not that. But yeah. Excellent. All right. You know, to get us back into the, you know, the rest of the discussion today, I mean, we, we already talked about augmented reality and virtual reality, and I figured, you know, maybe we should get these terms out of the way. So can you explain what they are and, you know, what are the differences between them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I agree. There's quite a bit of confusion these days uh, where those terms are mixed because uh, virtual reality and augmented reality devices they almost look the same, right? It's usually something you wear on your head. Mm-hmm. And that's what people see. So all those terms are mixed up on news sites. Um, so virtual reality is basically a fully immersive multimedia experience. And this is using computer-generated content. And these days, with devices like the Oculus, we mostly see the visual aspect. So those devices have so-called stereoscopic displays which means you have one screen for the left and one for the right eye and some good lenses. And then you're fully immersed into that virtual world. So you're fully in there, you don't see anything of the real world. And another aspect you can add to that is also audio. So adding audio, spatial audio from the virtual world or even touch, like getting the user haptic feedback. The more you add to that, the more the user feels immersed into that solution, right? Mm-hmm. The funny, here's a funny thing, they're even experimenting with smell like virtual smell, right? Yep. So that could, could be could be interesting. It could be really, really awkward, but it could be fun, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I read, you know, because like vision is a mixture of like a certain, you know, a certain set of colors, right? Uh, smell, yeah, I, I read about a device a few years ago where they had, you know, it was like 50 base smells or maybe it was 10, I don't, whatever the number was, and they were able to sort of mix them and make all the different types of smells. <laughs> That's, yeah. It could be good, right? It really depends what kind of smell they get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, virtual reality is, is quite um, quite old, actually. It's around since the 60s with, you know, the flight simulators. Yep. This is basically just virtual reality. And I remember when I was at university, like more than 10 years ago, 
we actually had a, a John Deere tractor simulator there, which was pretty awesome. It was sponsored by John Deere because they wanted to get some, some insights and all of that. So it was basically a full-blown tractor cockpit, right, with all the controls, mm -hmm. but, not, but not real windows, just virtual windows. And it was a virtual reality John Deere simulator. And as you can imagine, it was pretty expensive to build that. And I think the breakthrough happening right now is those devices like the Oculus and Samsung Gear and you know HTC Vive and all those stuff coming out every other week. They provide a very good quality at an affordable price. Mm -hmm. And with, with good quality, I also especially mean low latency because um, this is a big deal with uh, virtual reality. Uh, with latency, I mean those devices have sensors like rotational sensors. So when you rotate your head, the data is sent back to the computer and then you basically recreate your virtual scenery, render a new frame and send that back to the device. And the time it takes from the action to the actually seeing the feedback, this is called latency to be clear about the term, right? And with low latency for virtual reality, I mean, it needs to be lower than three milliseconds. So everything that's taking longer than three milliseconds can make your user actually sick. So they can vomit, they can throw up, and that's probably one thing you don't want your users to experience, right? Yeah. So, so it's really important to get the latency right with those devices. And we're also talking about 3D generated content, which means you need to run a 3D engine on that. And, you know, it needs to adapt to the, to the sensor information. And, you know, this, this latency needs to be very low. So this is a big, big challenge with uh, virtual reality. Right. Um, for augmented reality, on the other hand, it's not fully immersive. So augmented reality basically means you have a real world view, a real time, real world view, camera recording something, showing it in real time to you. But this scene is augmented with virtual objects. Um, so virtual objects are added to the scene, but you can also think about uh, removing objects. So you, you have basically a, a real world person standing in front of a background, but you don't like that guy, right? So you can write an application which basically copy brushes the background over him, right? <laughs> so I can finally become invisible if I, if I have everybody wear AR gear? Yes, exactly. <laughs> you, just, you, you just need to hack that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, add that functionality. I didn't even think of that. So, That's pretty cool. Yeah. And augmented reality is basically, you see it in everyday life. These days we have smartphones, which usually have one of those uh, geo-based augmented reality applications where you can look around and see certain point of interest. Or think about sports broadcasting, right? Your favorite football team is playing and they highlight certain parts in the game or certain uh, tactics with augmented reality. That's just what it is. And, and here's another nice um, Sample, I think uh, my wife recently ordered a new pair of glasses and she did that online and they had a really good commercial use case for augmented reality on that website. So what they did is basically doing a real-time webcam view and uh, providing facial tracking. Mm -hmm. And then you could basically see virtual glasses, like trying the glasses on, 3D rendered glasses on your real face. And she ordered the glasses and they fit perfectly. It's really, you didn't have to send them back. It's just working. And that's a really cool use case of uh, for augmented reality, I think. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and HoloLens basically is an augmented reality device. Right. Mm -hmm. That's that's what it is. You can also say mixed reality, which is a bit of a broader um, term, because um, it could also be um, augmented reality, but also augmented virtuality. That's also what's um, out there. But yes, augmented reality. This is what Hololens is, and 
uh, I think we all saw the announcements, right? Mm -hmm. About and there was a lot of excitement and about Hololens and yeah, Hololens is is basically what Google said that Google Glass would be, but wasn't. <laughs> so there were, <laughs> if you go look, I mean, there were early videos from years ago where Google Glass they showed, you know, the directions. It would light up the, you know, like the path in front of you to give you directions, and then. I don't remember if this was in the video, but basically if you, you know, walk up to somebody that, that, that you already know, but maybe you haven't seen them in a while, you know, their name goes above them. So you, you know, you don't have to try to remember their name and it tells you, you know, information about them and basically making your world like a better place. And, and then when Google glass came out, it's like, Oh, here's this little screen. That's like way up here and forget all that stuff that we showed you. But HoloLens is actually, you know, kind of coming through and, and doing the stuff that uh, Google Glass said they were going to do. Yeah, and I think uh, HoloLens especially uh, is opening a new chapter of augmented reality. Yeah, because because um, a few things they are getting right, which I haven't seen in that quality before. Carl, I got to interrupt this for just a second, and I want to talk about infragistics. Yeah, if you comment uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, you have a chance to win the ultimate license from infragistics. And this is pretty cool because it covers a lot of stuff. Um, they have controls for Android, iOS, Windows Phone, Windows 8, ASP.NET, MVC, WPF, jQuery, HTML5, just tons of stuff. And they even have stuff for Xamarin Forms. So if you're trying to hit all three major mobile platforms with one, they got controls to help you out there. If you need tabular stuff uh, with their grids, they got really cool controls to help make that look uh, just really sharp charting gauges barcodes it's all pretty simple using their controls and if you just have some uh, simple prototyping needs they have a product called indigo studio too it lets you get that prototype done so you can show this to the stakeholders and you know sell your ideas yeah what i love about that you can just send them a link and they can actually navigate through the app but uh what, like you mentioned earlier all of these controls across all these different platforms this is great i mean most people don't just develop one type of app now so being able to to go and use these controls in every type of app all under one ultimate license is is really big plus if we don't select you uh each week you could try again next week and if you can't wait they have free demos so you can try it out for a month download the demos and try it today yeah, check it out at infragistics.com. They're a free trial, so you have nothing to lose. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you get the ultimate edition for free, which includes everything. We thank them for their support of the MS Dev Show. We can talk a bit about um, how it was at the Holographic Academy at Build, because I was able to attend that and be in the first first group of trying to develop for the HoloLens. Mm -hmm. And I, having kind of a background in you know augmented reality and, and, and virtual reality, uh, 3D computer graphics and all of those things, I... I immediately realized a few things and why it stands so out uh, compared to other augmented reality solutions we have seen. Yeah, I mean, if you and want to one, tell us about your experience there, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. And one thing they really get right is uh, merging the virtual objects seamlessly into the real world. Mm -hmm. And I think the hardware plays a big role there. Um, when you look at the, the screen, basically the lenses as they call them it's not just a flat screen not just a flat transparent screen you look through it's basically a couple of layers of screens and this allows them to actually call that thing holographic right because they can position the virtual objects in the real depth into the real world because we as humans when we focus on certain objects in the real world the other things blur right that's called depth of field and 
they also need to apply that for virtual objects. Otherwise, they don't always feel like seamlessly merged. They always feel virtual. But the HoloLens guys get that right. They, they merge those objects seamlessly into the real world. Also, um, what I saw, also applying good lighting, right? You have a real world lighting and you have a virtual world lighting. And these basically need to match. Otherwise, the shadows won't match. And this you, you immediately notice that it doesn't work right. So I, I think that's actually really cool because... You know, I immediately, you know, immediately imagined, you know, how it would work is they would provide an optical illusion of that 3D depth. But what you're saying is because it's multiple layers, it actually is physically dimensional light. Yes. And that's why I'm also calling it actually holographic, right? It's not just flat screens. It's really like layout screens. (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of people were thrown off by that name because, you know, they you know, hear holographic and they think like, you know, those uh, communication devices from Star Wars or the holodeck from Star Trek. But, you know, it's it's that dimensioned layered screen that's embedded in there that provides that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. And you need to think about this device has all the computing inside integrated. So it's not like um, I don't want to mix it with the Oculus because Oculus is virtual reality, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so fully immersed, but the Oculus doesn't do any computing on the device. It's connected through USB and HDMI with your PC. So basically your PC is doing all the computing and you need to have cables, which sucks, of course, because you're limited in, you're constrained, you know, where you can go. And the HoloLens, it has everything integrated, the whole computing power. And this is awesome because you're not limited by that. But on the other hand, this also creates a huge challenge because you cannot place your full-blown NVIDIA desktop graphics call into that thing, right? You have to use like limited CPU power. And on the other hand, you (laughs) need to analyze the real world in real time and provide that information to the applications. So latency is even a bigger challenge with augmented reality. And this was a thing that has blown me away when I tried the HoloLens myself, is that they really get, get the latency very low in this whole device and it's not burning your head. Right? It's not getting super hard or anything. Mm-hmm. That's probably another thing you don't want to apply to users, right? Building their heads. Well, that, that's interesting how... So it sounds like the, it was actually integrated to avoid all the complexity because I, I've heard things about the, the Oculus. I mean, you got to have like just the right type of PC and it sounds like they're going to have like certified PCs that, that are actually capable of running it the way that you need to so that you don't throw up. I had really a couple of problems actually getting all the dev kits for the Oculus running uh, on my PC because I had some issues with NVIDIA drivers and so on. So it's really um, still in the development phase, the Oculus. So I'm curious uh, when it comes out for consumers how they want to solve that. And like you said, maybe they're they're, releasing certified PCs or something. Right. But yeah, that's that's really a challenge. Okay, so developers are listening to this podcast. So let's let's get into the programming aspect here. So you know, if you're if you're a .NET programmer uh, like myself and Carl, you know, like what? So what is it like programming for you know programming these three D worlds? And and I guess my other question is 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 it different between the Oculus and the the Hololens? I mean, is it is it sort of the same thing? Um, and 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 like, what do I actually? What is it actually like? Yeah. So. It's 3D computer graphics, what you need to create virtually. You do that for virtual reality, but also for augmented reality, because you need to have 3D objects placed into the real world, right? And usually what um, what you do is using uh, 3D, uh, 
how should I say, a, a 3D SDK or 3D API, which is hardware accelerated. And on Windows, we have DirectX. On other platforms like iOS and, and Linux and all of that, th this is OpenGL. And these are supported natively by the graphics hardware, right? And they have kind of an SDK and a development kit. And it's really, uh, if you never have done 3D computer graphics, it's quite a steep learning curve for sure. Because you need to be aware of that we as humans live in a 3D world. Mm -hmm. So those devices also live in a 3D world. So you need to deal with 3D computer graphics and you need to deal with 3D math. So you need to use vector arithmetics, linear algebra, and all of those crazy things. Um, but in the end, I mean, it's really a challenge to get to that point. And if you have never done any computer graphics before, um, it might be a good idea to actually start with a middleware like Unity and all of those things, because they take quite a bit of that burden away from you that you need to, to use all the core APIs of DirectX and so on. Um, yeah, it's um, and for Unity, the good thing is also you can script it, and the scripts you can write, write them in C sharp. Okay. So this is pretty Excellent. cool. So you can so you can add that dynamic, um, you know, the dynamics to that um, game or whatever you want to write uh, with C sharp. So your favorite language. That's also uh, for DirectX. If you would just want to roll your own engine or do it like on the bare metal, if you will, there's also a .NET wrapper available for DirectX. It's called SharpDX. Um, so you can use that to actually. Just use .NET C Sharp and actually program against DirectX because DirectX is actually a C++ com API, right? All right. So yeah, I, I have a question. Since you mentioned that you can use something like Unity for you know both of these platforms, is can are we at a point now or maybe soon that we could use Unity to maybe not only make you know at, you know apps games currently for mobile devices, but also for the Oculus and Hololens kind of in one shot i'm not sure if you can make it in one shot because there's <laughs> just still there are still a, um, quite a different scenarios so let's think about it um the, the oculus has unity support or actually unity has oculus support if you will so you can deploy from unity you can select different target platforms they call it build settings and then you can deploy your solution and create the native package for that platform for oculus it's basically win32 HWAN based uh, DirectX uh, on Windows. The Oculus, you can also use it on Mac and, and Linux. This is OpenGL in the end. But again, yeah, you can use Unity. And for HoloLens, as I said, I was one of the first few um, in the world actually to be uh, in, the, in the sweet spot to get the Holographic Academy. And what was used there was the, uh, also was Unity. Actually, Unity was used to develop for HoloLens. So this is a thing which, which might be becoming big. Because as I said, if you've never done computer graphics before, it's it's quite a steep learning curve to learn all that from scratch. And a, a good way to start is, yeah, brushing up your 3D math skills. That's that's for sure. Because um, if you want to have all degrees of freedom, you need to understand what, what it means to calculate with a vector, what means a dot product, what does it actually apply into the real world, right? So th these are the things you still need to have an understanding also with Unity about the concepts. What does translation mean? What does scaling mean? And, and all of that. Um, yeah, but Unity is, is becoming big, even bigger, I think, with those devices because all of them support Unity in the end. But as I said, it's a different scenario. If you think about virtual reality, it's a full virtual world. With HoloLens and augmented reality, you still have real-world objects. So you need to think about, um, for me, really, the biggest challenge with HoloLens for developing 
uh, won't be the actually technical part because in the end it's 3D rendering. So creating 3D objects. The real challenge I think for HoloLens development in general will be getting the UX, the user experience right, and thinking about new paradigms for um, using, interacting with objects in the 3D world. Uh, we can go a bit into the details there, what they showed us in the Holographic Academy and what we use there, if you want to. Sure. Yes. So um, one one particular thing is, I was, as I said, in the Holographic Academy, and there was kind of a tutorial based on uh, Unity. And what we were building there was uh, so-called um, holograms, which are basically just a 3D scene, right? And this was created with uh, Unity. And these these objects were basically virtual paper, and they called it origami, right? Mm -hmm. Origami objects, but just virtual three uh, D scenery, three D assets. And uh, it started with that that we could actually pin that hologram inside the real world, and then you could actually walk around that what was pinned there, and it was staying in place. So you could pin it on a sofa, on a table, and you could walk around the table and and uh, you know experience from all different angles. Does, does the Hololens and, handle the pinning, or do I have to do that in Unity somehow? You do that in Unity. Okay. So you you did it basically in a script, so in a C sharp script for those um, uh, assets. Okay. And and also for the for the in input paradigms which are available there, they basically talk about GGV. So it's called it's that's short for gaze gesture gesture voice, and gaze basically means um, how can you interact with objects in the free world? You the the easiest thing is just looking at them, right? So you gaze at at those objects, and that can be compared with a mouse move in in our two D. UI context. So you basically set the focus on a certain object. And then the next thing is a gesture. So they support a couple of uh, built-in gestures and one of them is called air tap. So you basically tap like into the air with your finger. And this could be the mouse click in the 2D analogy. So basically you look at the thing, set the cursor, and then you air tap and do the action. And for this tutorial we did that, we basically implemented Unity's physical based uh, rigid body simulation. So basically then you you gave a, a origami paperboard a push. So it basically was rolling down into the oh, scene. Very the cool. cool thing is, and the cool thing is this thing was basically when it was on a table, in the real world table, the virtual ball was falling from the table on the floor in the real world. And this was amazing, right? Because they do all this spatial mapping this device scans yep. basically the whole, not the whole room, but I think like three to four meters or something. That's what I experienced in the Holographic Academy. So it scans like your, the nearer field around you and then reconstructs the, the spatial mapping, right? And that was, was also one part in the Holographic Academy was pretty cool. It reminded me really of Star Trek Holodeck because it was basically like throwing a fissure net over the real world objects, right? So you saw how the HoloLens actually reconstructs the real world. And it was was pretty, pretty amazing. And yeah, so I was I was expecting some good visuals, but the audio was also mind blowing. But Cole, go ahead. So, you know, j just to wrap, you know, my head around some of that stuff that you just said. So you, you talked about, you know, you'd, you'd push the virtual ball and it would roll on the actual table. So just kind of comparing like what you do in Oculus and virtual reality and this in augmented reality. So in, in Oculus, you would have to have, you know, a virtual table that you would construct and you'd have to have the entire background 3D mapped. But what the HoloLens seems to do is, you know, create a, a virtual mapping of everything that you can see so that it, its virtual elements can interact with them 
using actual physics. So exactly. it sounds like it sounds like there's a just an a, a ton of stuff built in into its internal physics engine. So, you know, I, I, is is there anything additional that you have to do to you know know how to re- interact with these objects, or is that all really out of the box? Yeah, do they sort of show up as like regular virtual polygons? So it's um, we have to be clear there. That's not built into the uh, whole lens. It's that the physical simulation comes from Unity, basically, right? Mm-hmm. So what 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 the whole lens provides you is the information about they call it spatial mapping. So the information about your surroundings. So basically, how far is a certain surface? How far is, for example, you see a wall. How far is that? And where does it face? So in computer graphs, we we say there's a normal, right? A plain normal pointing to a space. So this information, you get all of that. And then you have to use that and do something with that. And in Unity, you do that with C-sharp scripts, right? So you still have to do quite a bit of work. Um, to actually interact with the real world. But of course, in the tutorial I did there, there was a lot of uh, prepared stuff. But um, yes, the, the, the really mind-blowing thing is um, that they can, with very low latency, spatially map the world around you. And also the audio was super impressive. So another input mechanism is uh, voice, so speech recognition. And here's the cool thing, it's not like you probably, if you've done speech recognition before, you probably uh, are aware of a few things. And usually you have to provide kind of a fixed grammar, kind of a fixed set of strings the, the application understands. But with uh, HoloLens, they have a really good new speech recognition engine, I think, because you can just enter any string you want. So, in, for example, in the, in the tutorial, I extended the... Um, the, the the thing with my custom commands, speech recognition commands, and I just added one like push stuff, right? And I just wrote the, the C sharp string push stuff, and the thing really, it just reacted to my voice. And here's the, the, the mind blowing thing actually about it. There was another guy sitting like two meters uh, or what is it, six feet? Yeah. <laughs> six meters. <laughs> probably probably uh, more like seven. <laughs> yeah, or more, more like seven, exactly. So it was sitting there, and he had also a similar command implemented. Actually, there were some built-in commands in the tutorial, and he was saying that built-in command, my application also would actually understand, but it didn't, my device didn't react to the guy's voice. It was just reacting to my voice, which is awesome. If you think about the whole HoloLens and augmented reality, the cool thing about HoloLens is also that you can uh, collaborate Right, multiple people in the same room wearing a whole lens, and they can see the same thing. Yeah, that's really. I cool. mean, you can you can do something similar in virtual reality if you if you want, right? But then again, you don't see the other people. You're just like in your in your own world, basically. But with augmented reality and whole lens, you still see the real people, and and you still interact with the real world. So this is a a big big part. Um, yeah, spatial audio. Just just one more thing, which is uh, amazing. Um, spatial audio for the HoloLens means they have some tiny speakers, um, also at the headband on the headset, which are not like headphones inside your ear, but they're basically sitting a bit above your ear. And they're really tiny, tiny speakers, so I wasn't expecting a big, nice sound. But the awesome thing is um, they provide spatial acoustics. So, they, so, for example, the hologram, the 3D scene is in your back, so you don't see it, but you can hear the sound and you know immediately where to turn your head. 
So your brain, you know, and if you're in the real world and a car's passing by, you know exactly, or at least a bit, where the car's going and where it is. And this is basically the same what they can apply with virtual sound. And this is mind-blowing because it's not like wearing headphones. It's really like the sound, the virtual sound is coming from the real room you're in. It was really, really amazing. Yeah, I didn't think of that augmented yeah. sound. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, you know, kind of once again, jumping to like a getting started kind of thing for each of these platforms, you know, what what do you need minimally to get ready to develop? I mean, do you need the gear in both of these? Um, you know, what kind of, you know, software and software costs are there? You know, even assets, you know, you know, like you mentioned, audio and visual. Um, I'm sure I could program a, a very primitive 3D cube, but that's not going to be something that I'm going to want to publish like that. So how, how easy is it to get that stuff cost, you know, maybe even generate that yourself? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. So uh, for the Oculus, we know the price, right? There's an Oculus development kit too. And I think they are bringing out development kit free, which will also support spatial audio, by the way. Uh, I don't, I can't tell you the price right now, but uh, you can look it up on the website. So it costs a few hundred uh, dollars. Um, and then again, you also need to, if you want to go with Unity, which is the easiest uh, entry, I think, um, they have actually a pretty cool uh, model now. It's basically free. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, you just have to pay something if you make a certain amount of revenue or something. And it also provides kind of a watermark or splash screen with the Unity logo. But it's good to get started, right? You can always buy the pro version if you don't want to see the splash screen or make so much revenue that it you can actually spend it for Unity. Pro. Yeah, that's never my problem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so Unity is a good thing to start with. And Unity also provides an asset store. So you can get... Uh, you can buy assets like virtual 3D objects and also sound and all of that, but they also have a bunch of free stuff which you can start with and just download and integrate. It's very well done. Um, we at IdentityMind, we have actually our own in-house engine. So I was working with the Oculus and actually brought our engine support to the um, uh, to the Oculus and also experimenting with different input mechanisms like leap motion and, and also the Mayo band, you know, how can you actually interact in the virtual world? So what is all the input paradigms you need to use? And and those natural user interface devices like the leap motion and so on, they, they provide a very natural way to interact in those worlds, right? So those devices cost money, right? For the HoloLens, we don't even know how much it is. We can just guess. And I was asking a couple of questions at the Holographic Academy and there's a funny anecdote. And I was always told like, we don't talk about that today. And I was asking, <laughs> so I was asking them, when are we talking about that? So of course the answer was, we're not talking about that today. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how much it costs. We can only guess, right? All right. So, you know, I, I think the next step is, you know, you know, I'm interested in maybe doing something, um, in 3d, what, what, what is the hello world? Like, you know, application for me, you know, what, what's a good type of project for me to start with? Yeah. The usually hello world in 3d computer graphics is, um, these days it's becoming a, a rotating cube. A 3D rotating cube, so not that far away. When you can, when you can render a 3D cube rotating, you went a long way, and that's that's a good thing. But actually, the real Hello World is the so-called Utah teapot, which is a famous 3D model. It's basically just a teapot, but it's it's really popular in the 3D computer graphics academics. So this is the Hello World, so rendering the teapot in 3D. 
this is uh, um, uh, one of those. You can actually start with DirectX if you want to. Visual Studio has um, some templates it ships with. So just file new project and then you can look into uh, DirectX on the C++ or find some samples on MSDN like the sample gallery. There are also a couple of uh, Direct3D samples. Um, there's also good websites available which has good information and, and a great forum uh, like gamedev.net. Another entry, as I said, could really be Unity, I think, because this gives you... Because when you start with 3D computer graphics and you've never done that before, it's really a steep learning curve and it takes a while until you get that satisfactory moment, but which is really satisfactory at that moment then, when you see something actually rotating in 3D. So it takes a bit, right? Mm -hmm. And Unity is a nice thing because it provides you a good a step into that and you get results very quickly and you get this satisfactory moment way faster. Yeah, I'm installing Unity so five right now. I have a couple questions. Is this uh, <laughs> is it cross? Is Unity cross platform and is it work on all the phone platforms? Yes. Okay. It's, uh, so it's grading outputs for all the different. Okay. Um, even if I write in C sharp. Even if you write in C sharp, okay. which is pretty awesome, what they're using is basically the Mono CLR. Okay. And and they're shipping that with it. So when you basically uh, create an iOS app, it's similar, I think, to what the Xamarin guys are doing. Right. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So yeah, it's installing right now. Um, so how, like, how quickly can I, can I get something going here? Cause I noticed whenever I installed it, one of the options that was actually unchecked by default was an example project. Um, yeah. I mean, so, you know, what does it, what does it take to actually get that spinning cube running on something? Yeah. For, for the unity is just like adding a new 3d object and, and then like uh, hit run, select, selecting it cube and then select run. And then you can see it in a preview. Or then you select the build settings and just, you know, create an output. So basically for Windows, WinRT and Windows Phone, what it creates is basically a Visual Studio solution. And in the end, what you need to deploy is the Visual Studio solution to your device, right? Um, it's similar for, for iOS. So it creates Xcode stuff and then you need to deploy it to your device, uh, right? Um, I would recommend if you want to start with Unity, I would recommend just a website of Unity. They have a, a learning or tutorial section. It's really not hard to find. And they have really good tutorials. Um, one of this, um, they have like four or five just, you know, for step-by-step -step creating your first game. And they have a, a beginner tutorial. I would re really recommend to use that because this gives you all the insights you need to know, you know, what is the UI like of Unity and and get going. So I think it's not, it's not, um, how should I say, it's not wasted time if you, if you do that, because all the big devices coming out, also HoloLens, and they will all support Unity. Actually, if I remember correctly, Unity announced a partnership with Microsoft HoloLens a few weeks ago, or just after build. So this is officially one of the first class citizens for the platforms. Okay. Yeah. This seems like the easiest way to get started. So I'm going to, I'm going to check it out, see what it looks like. Uh, so, so what kind of cool things are you building today? I know you mentioned, you know, playing around with, uh, I shouldn't say playing around with, uh, you mentioned you developing an Oculus and using the, uh, the leap motion, but what, what kind of cool things are you working on? So what we did is, um, we have our own in-house 3d engine, which is based on dark 3d. And, uh, I, I added support for that, for the universal windows platform. So we can actually run that on all the different platforms. Right. And at the heart of it, it's C, C plus plus 
but we basically wrap around a WinRT component, so you can use that from your universal Windows platform application just in C Sharp and, and do the, your work from there. So I'm working actually a lot in our in-house engine and for build, I actually also uh, developed a demo uh, based up with the Oculus, and this is um, basically you can you sit inside a car, you know, in the virtual world, virtual car, and you can drive the car around, but you can also interact with the car and explore that product. So think about you going to a car dealer, but they don't have the car available yet. So you can put on the Oculus and you know explore certain things inside the car. And the funny thing is, I uh, before I you know, was at the Holographic Academy, I did that work, what I just saying, and I also came up with some similar interaction model, is you just look at the things. You just look at the glove box, right? And it will open up, and we show a label, like, this is the glove box. <laughs> or you, you, or you, of course, this is useless, right? But it, it could be cool. If, uh, I also added uh, kind of uh, labels and interactions, I call them hotspots, uh, in front of the car. So you look at the hood of the car, it opens the hood, and then you can look at the engine or certain parts, and like saying, okay, this is the, the brakes and this is the V8 engine, blah, 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 and all of those things. And then you can also interact in the in the 3D world with the leap motion. And if you're not familiar with the leap motion, it's basically uh, detecting hands in the real world and then providing you the spatial information of your hands, like the finger movement, the real skeletal tracking it actually does. So even the segments of your finger are provided. So I'm mapping that into the virtual world to a 3D hand. So you can move your real world hand and the 3D hand also moves in that way. So you can wink and you know stretch your fingers and all of that. But what I did in the demo is you can touch stuff. So you can touch the horn on the steering wheel and we'll play a horn sound, right? Or you can open the door with your virtual hand. But in, actually you're, you're doing that in the real world with your real hand. And you don't have to see it because it's so natural, right? Because you don't see anything when you're wearing the Oculus. Right. That's that's another thing. You're fully immersed into that. So you cannot use like keyboard or anything like that. So I I'm, I'm, was also using the Xbox 360 controller because a lot of people actually don't know that you can use it with your PC. It's just USB connected. And they have an API. It's called Direct Input. And I'm also supporting that. So this is another nice input mechanism for, for devices like Oculus and other virtual reality things. So yeah, that's what I'm up to and also looking into DirectX 12, which is the big next thing coming from Microsoft. So bring our engine to that. And yeah, that's what I'm doing. And also a few other projects with clients for Windows 10 and so on. So one other thing I want to talk about is, is consumer scenarios. So I'm sure you've seen like this uh, Google Cardboard where it's basically like a piece of cardboard and you fold it in a certain way and it's got some lenses that you pop in there and basically use your phone for VR and you can also do things like sound with it. Um, I actually went on to Amazon because you can you can buy this and you can get it for, uh, there's a couple different options here. There's one where it's like $4, which is pretty crazy. But I found one that was actually $40, which is, which it looks like an Oculus, except it's driven with your phone. So you just pop your your phone in there. So I don't know if you've seen that one. It's a, it's a desk tech. Um, and it's a Google Cardboard 3D VR headset. Uh, what's kind of neat about this, and I, I don't know how much how much you've watched this space, but what's kind of neat is being able to, you know, like the the car example you gave, allowing somebody to download an app that, um, you know, let's say Ford has an app that you you download, and you just pop this phone into a piece of cardboard, and you can sit there and look around the the car, so you don't have to have you know a couple hundred dollar uh, VR or AR set. Yes. So those Google Cardboard and other, like you just mentioned, this desk, D-Stack, whatever, Google Cardboard. Yeah, it looks like Carl pasted uh, it into the uh, the IM window if you want to look at that. 
yeah, I opened it and those things are, are pretty amazing because what you said, the entry level for consumers is very low because you already have your smartphone, right? right. You just need need the, the real cardboard with some good lenses. But in uh, when you compare it with the Oculus, it's still quite a bit of a difference. So I, I tried the cardboard uh, as well, of course. And yeah, it's, it's still... Um, not the fully immersive. Yeah, that's one thing I was wondering is how how close is it? It's kind of neat though because you get video and you get audio, and it looks like if you if you have an Android phone, you can actually watch 3D movies on it as well. Which I I don't yeah, think I could stand have the thing in my face for two hours, but um, but it's kind of a neat idea though. Yeah, it's it's amazing to see where where this is going, and um, I recently watched the Google I/O keynotes, and they have a lot of investment in that area. I think they. They uh, are really spending a lot of money for Google Cardboard and other VR solutions from from uh, Google and also the um, I'm not sure what the name is, but they have this kind of 3D recording solution they're providing and YouTube will natively solve. Yep, Google uh, Jump or 3D. Yeah, Google Jump exactly, and they will YouTube will just solve 3D uh, videos and <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is really cool. The, yeah, so you can actually do a 3D broadcast, which is which is neat. Yeah. So I think there's there's um, there's a place for all of those. Google Cardboard, of course, has it maybe a nice thing for the consumer market, but I think the Oculus and the more higher end uh, VR solutions also have a place for more like how should I say professional and commercial use case in certain scenarios because it's still a better immersive solution. Um, and and even smaller details matter a lot in that space, right? Oh yeah. Like I said, latency and and all of those things is is very important. The lenses need to be very very good. Also, the higher the resolution, the better it is, right? The current Oculus uh, second generation development kit has a full HD, but it's still not enough pixels. Actually, you can still see the pixels because um, you're just very very close and have some lenses which you know enlarge those. Right. So there are a couple of, of things, and I think there's a market for all of those. Cool. Is there anything else that we missed that you wanted to talk about? Did we cover everything? Um, yeah, what I would like to also mention is uh, 3D computer graphics is really important if you want to deal with all the modern devices these days. And actually, every other day, you have a new device coming out in Kickstarter. We also have a device at the office uh, which is called Emotive Insight, which basically provides your brainwave information. Right, and there's so many stuff coming out, and all of those are usually, or most of them, are natural user interfaces. And what this means is, we as humans live in a 3D world, and so those devices also provide data in a 3D world. So it's probably really a good idea to brush up some of your um, 3D math skills, I think, because the future we have seen in 1980s movies like Back to the Future, um, Star Trek, and all of that—it's actually becoming reality just now. And this is pretty amazing. And it's a good time to be a developer, I think. Oh, definitely. Excellent. Okay, so let's talk about the Azure pick of the week. So my pick this week is the Azure Key Vault, which is kind of a neat technology. So it's basically for safeguarding cryptographic keys and secrets. So you can use this in your application as um, basically a place where you can put all of your, your keys and secrets, and then your application can take advantage of those. And you can do things like access control to, you know, set up which application has access to which keys and is able to use those. So take a look at that. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, you really got to read up on it. There's an API and then there's also uh, a GUI within the Azure console to take a look at that. And Carl, what do we have for the app of the week? This week's app of the week is a Windows phone app called Events for Me. Uh, if you have uh, an event 
uh, for Eventbrite that you're attending. Uh, it has wallet integrations, so you can like save all of that information offline into your wallet. You can show the QR code for when you have to register. They can just scan it. Um, it's really well done. Um, it's was made by another MVP called Paris Wahedra. Okay. So uh, yeah, just like everybody to check that out. Uh, I've actually this has been around for a while. I've used this quite a few times. So it's it's one of those apps that have always been on my phone. Very cool. So Renee, we play this game on the show. You're familiar with it. What I need you to do, I need to pick a number between one and four. Three. Three. Okay. <laughs> Would you rather always have to wear diapers for the rest of your life or always have to drink and eat out of a baby bottle? Well, of course, uh, I don't want to wear diapers, right? <laughs> it, you can you get you can drink good stuff from the baby bottle. It just you know, if you have a good bourbon or whatever, you can drink it. <laughs> I, I I can just imagine you trying to explain this to somebody. <laughs> you, you're at the bar and you have a baby bottle. Okay, Carl, between one and four. One. One. Okay. Would you rather place first in the Olympics and have the gold medal taken away from you one year later or win second place, but get to keep your medal forever? This seems, that seems easy. I don't know. I I do the first yeah, one. Absolutely. Cause you'd rather be a gold medalist, even if you didn't have the medal. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember watching a TV show recently and uh, there was a, a lady on there. She's like, Oh, I took, I got silver at the Olympics. And the guy's like, Oh, it's only first place that matters. And she's like, that's what my dad said. <laughs> <laughs> now what I do, I take, I take, I take the first option on the 364th day, I'd sell it <laughs> and then it's okay if it disappears. Uh, okay. Let's see here. Um, Renee, where can people find you if they want more information about everything we talked about today? Yeah, I have a, a blog, a blog.renee-schulte.info and also on Twitter, I'm quite active on social networks. So Twitter is always good to reach, reach out to me. I usually reply. Yep. What's your Twitter handle? Oh yeah, of course. It's R S C H U R S U basically. Um, yeah, that's it. I guess you will add some links at the yep. website. And I was not following you. So I'm following you now as of right now, <laughs> Carl. And I will oh, go ahead, follow you back. I will follow you back. Perfect. <laughs> uh, Carl, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at WPDevGuy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at YTechie.com or on Twitter at Twitter.com slash YTechie. So, Renee, thanks again so much for coming on the show. You got me really excited about 3D programming. And uh, like I mentioned, uh, Unity just finished installing. So I picked Personal Edition and uh, I'm going to build something in 3D just because you got me excited about it. So thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Let us know how it goes. Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. 